0: Hello and welcome to Talking Moves, a podcast from Greenwich Dance where dance artists come together to talk about their work and practice, the things that matter and the issues which move them. I'm Melanie Precious and in this episode I'm talking to two artists about the role of a dramaturg. An artist's creation space is a rather special place to inhabit. It's vibrant, exciting, tense, can be nail-biting, and it always feels to me to be an honour to be there. But by the same token, it's not always easy, and it comes with much responsibility, particularly if you're invited not as an onlooker, but as a contributor. Increasingly in use within the creation process is the role of the dramaturg. But what exactly is this? How do you become one? And what benefit can a dramaturg bring to an artistic process? We've invited two dramaturgs to find out. Kartika Naya, producer, scriptwriter, poet and storyteller, who has worked with Akram Khan, City Larby and many others. And Eva Martinez, performing arts curator, producer, dramaturg and coach. And until very recently, artistic programmer at Sadler's Wells. Welcome both of you. So... Firstly, I can't help but be in awe of the breadth of skills that each of you boast. So I'm going to ask you to tell me just a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do, just so that we can kind of understand how you've come to be in the role of a dramaturg. Kartika, tell us a little bit about your work first.
1: I think whichever the hat I wear in terms of dance, I consider myself primarily an enabler because I came to writing and dramaturgy through producing. And that's what I'm trained in, and that's what I have done for most of my adult life. And the script writing, because that's essentially what I do, the dramaturgy is sort of latched onto it, mostly in pieces that I have scripted, occasionally on its own, but not very often. But that happened. It was an unplanned segueing. So it's very difficult to think of it as an orchestrated plan because it just sort of fell into place. And I was smiling when you talked about the honor of being in a place where work is being made in the rehearsal studio or around the table where work is being conceptualized. Because that's sort of where I have been so happy Mm. existing. And primarily again as an enabler, whether it was with the producer hat on or the programmer hat on. And I had this parallel existence as a poet. And One fine day, I was asked to script a piece, and I didn't think too much about it. If I did, I suspect I would not have done it. (laughs) And I think I also took it on because I was told, well, we wanted to ask Salman Rushdie, but he's just too complicated. So, (laughs) 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 Rushdie is one of my heroes. So, you know, what could be a better carrot?
2: Absolutely. An enabler. That's a really beautiful word, I think. Eva, how about you? first of all, I just want to say, even today for me, it feels like I'm super happy to have this conversation with both of you and with Katika, who's someone I really love the work of. And one bit of your bio that Melanie didn't mention is the word fabulous. And I'm going to ask you about that because I love that.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. It's when I read that, I emailed the team and went, I love this word. What is this word? And I had to Google it. We'll come back to that. Good work. We'll ask you about that. Fabulous.
2: But yeah, I, I think I resonate with a lot of what you've just said, Katika. I think the enabler is also a role that I step into wholeheartedly. And I guess for me, the journey into dramaturgy has also been accidental. Probably, like recently, it was more of an intentional decision. Having stepped away from institutional roles, I had to look at what it is that I enjoy doing and what frames could that correspond to, to some extent. Realizing that, you know, some of it I was doing within my role at Saddles Wells and some of it, I was not allowing myself to do and the role that I wasn't allowing myself to do for very clear reasons of conflict of interest was entering the studio as a dramaturge. Mm-hmm. So being a producer and a curator in that order has also mm-hmm. been my journey. And as I got more and more into places of intimacy and trust with artists, then I was in the rehearsal studio and the creation processes more rather than simply trying to make it happen from a producing place. Yes. Um, that's where it happened for me. But while I was holding the curator role and you're making decisions, you're being related to Someone who has the power to say yes or no for whether it's the right thing or not. Therefore, I decided to completely be clear that I was only entering the studio when invited. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't just throw myself in there. And most of all, I would only give feedback when invited to because of what it represents when someone who has an institutional role gives feedback. It can be really amplified in terms of the impact it can have on artists. So, therefore, I had those dramaturgical conversations, but never an established relationship. Of course, as a commissioner, that's yes another role because in the role of the artistic programmer at Settle as well, I had a curator function, but also of course you enter commissioning situation where you enable and you become a partner in a different sense. Yeah, there there's another expectation I would say that you would be in a different kind of dialogue as a prime investor and sometimes for me a champion yeah. of certain works and certain artists as well. Yeah. And there again, there was a conversation that was dramaturgical, but most of the time I was never a dramaturg at Settle as well. So I did it once and I took my two weeks holidays, and it was with my partner, with Hittain Patel, the the visual artist and performance maker, and Kanduko Dance Company, who wanted us to team up on that piece. And it was so great. I loved it, but I could only really do that because I also had an understanding with Hitain and then I could go back to my job. You know, it doesn't relate to me as a Sadness World's Curator, yeah, so yeah. Uh, obviously. <laughs> so that's really interesting. We're going to pick up on some of this as we go through
0: these kind of slight complexities between those different roles and how you navigate your way around them. But before we do that, I thought perhaps we could nail one thing. <laughs> do you know what? I don't even know if we're going to be able to do it. This might be the impossible question. But what is dramaturgy? What do we actually mean when we're talking about it in its simplest form? One definition I found was someone who helps make the dance more understandable to an audience. Is that too reductive? (laughs) Both silent.
1: (laughs) Okay, I am a storyteller. I will pick up on my favourite analogy and Bear with me for about 30 seconds, because it goes through another analogy. So when people ask me, what is a producer? I usually say, the producer is the person who, when a choreographer says, I want an elephant, says... African or Asian. Okay. (laughs) So so agreeing further, for me, the dramaturg is the person who, once the elephant has come, and once the producer and the choreographer have also had conversations after a few rehearsals and some amount of evolution in the piece, after the producer said, you know, the elephant's great, maybe we need to look at ways in which the elephant can also travel. Can it be a video projection? Can it be a stuffed elephant? So after all this has happened, you know, the concrete concerns maybe, the dramaturg is the person who probably has to say, um, is the elephant too big? Is it taking up the right amount of space? Why do you want the elephant?
0: Drilling down into the purpose in that narrative, in that story. I get it. Mm,
2: I love that. I totally love that. And I guess it also makes me think of one of the big roles of the dramaturg, which is the elephant in the room in a different way. You know, which I guess for me has always been, I mean, I would say just to put it out there, I had some experience as a dramaturge before taking on institutional roles and I posed that and then I'm coming back to it now as a freelance uh, artist. So I'm coming back to it with less experience in a way than other parts of my practice. But for sure, when I think about it and what I admire in Great Dramaturg is their ability to... You know, the image that I remember very clearly came to me from um, Michael Pinchbeck, who's a performance artist based in the Midlands, who I met when I was working in Nottingham, who's a fantastic dramaturge. And I remember um, him talking about weaving, like weaving a basket and noticing patterns and then the intention changing as you weave as well. And that spoke to me a lot. My grandfather used to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's an image that really stayed with me. So I think identifying what those threads are, reflecting back, is a really big part of what I think I'm best at doing as a dramaturge, because I think different people are good at doing mm-hmm. things so I don't write for instance I don't generate any text I'm very much a companion and a holder of a place that reflects back the intention and then questions where we're going so in your definition Melanie what's interesting is it's focused on the end part of the journey which is how it communicates to an audience yeah. I guess by default because I'm a curator I've always been the person who's very aware of the audience so I did a feedback session recently as the beginning of a dramaturgical journey with an artist and she said one of the things I've always valued even when you just came in the studio before is that you always asked me well what's at stake and how is the audience going to know what's at stake? Mm.
0: Because actually if they're not I say understanding, and we just had a recent conversation with artists about whether it's really important that the audience understand or not. You know, they can interpret how they want to. But if you are trying to tell a specific story, then you want to make the audience understand, right? Otherwise, it's full and flat. I love that idea that you're saying, Ava, as well, about a thread, that idea of following that thread or tracking it back and working out whether that thread needs to go in a different direction or weave across. Yeah, yeah. it's really lovely. And so to pick up on what you just said there about the producer of content and words and the fact that you mentioned earlier that Kartika is a fabulist is that how you would say it? A fabulist, as one of the people. Fabulist, even better, fabulous, fabulous. And you called yourself as well a dance librettist and a scriptor of dance. And so I wondered, is that the same or can you pull apart those differences? And I wondered whether your work with chotto Desh in many ways might help us understand the complexity of what that actually is that you're doing with a production?
1: So there's slightly different things. When I call myself a fabulist, it's specifically because I do write fables a lot. Writing children's books, children's stories is a major part of my functions as a writer and one that I particularly relish. And it oddly does go back to Desh, which is sort of the progenitor of Chotodesh. Chotodesh was uh, an offshoot of Desh. It's the family-friendly version of Desh. But the librettist and scriptwriter functions are slightly different. I use the word librettist because it's so much easier to connect to in the opera and theatre world. It's seldom used in dance. But librettists generally do create entire worlds, whether they're spoken or not. And that's why I find that a really useful word, because in dance in particular, a lot of what I script will not be heard you know, even theatres or programmers seldom cotton on to what the writer does, if it's not spoken word. Whereas the Desh and Chotodesh example is just perfect as a reminder that a lot of dance can be scripted. It often isn't. Few choreographers work with writers, few choreographers, especially in contemporary, work with defined narratives a lot more especially on the continent work with spoken word but not with necessarily a delineated narrative thread they can just sort of be part of the atmospherics does that as well i've done that with babel 7.16 when we restaged it for avignon we restaged it for the cour d'honneur in 2016 it was a funny thing i'd bring that also to just talk about some of the difficulties this was one piece where i worked backwards where the entire and it's Also a connection because Lou was the dramaturg on the original Babel. In Avignon, Larbi and Damien Jalet, so Sidi Larbi-Cherkawi and Damien Jalais, the co-choreographers and directors, decided they wanted to make it site-responsive. The Palais des Papes is one of the iconic venues in the world, and we came into it within a very specific context. The massacres of Paris in November 2015, where Damien narrowly escaped with his life, There were a lot of terrorist attacks in France and in Europe in general. And there was also a very strong backlash on immigrants, refugees in particular. And both Damien and Narbi wanted that to be quite at the center. It already is in Babel. The question of territory is very strong in Babel. But in Babel 7.6, they wanted it to be really the hub of the peace. And so... I work backwards, not just in terms of narrative, but in terms of rhythm, because that entire section is choreographed and it's spoken word, but choreographed spoken word. So I wrote it to pretty much the exact meter of the original text, but replacing the text entirely with a very Avignon specific content, reminding Mm -hmm. the audience that Avignon is in essence, a city created by refugees. We don't think of the popes as refugees, but they were in the 13th century. They had to flee Rome. they had to come over, and in their wake, you had artisans, craftsmen, painters, writers, masons, people who built this entire city except they were perceived very differently at that moment in time. Hmm. So, you know, that's a bit of a scriptwriter at play, where you yeah. really do see what the writer does, because it's spoken word, and it's spoken word choreographed already, etc. So I've segued and digressed a lot, so forgive me. But Chorto Desh or Desh is the opposite entirely, where there isn't a word in that central segment, which lasts about 13 minutes in Desh and 10 minutes in Chorto Desh, which is pure animation in Abhinaya, but which is scripted to create a three-dimensional world.
0: It's so beautiful thinking of how all of those skills of poet, rhythm, narrative, story are all weaving together, as you said before, into this basket.
2: Mm. I have a question, that's all right. You We're not a question, but an observation. I mean, I think you could only come into Babel kind of backwards because of the relationship you have with Larby and with this work. I think just for the listeners who might not be aware of that, I mean, I do remember discovering this, this book of poetry thanks to sandra roy actually the dance critic and journalist mm-hmm. who introduced me to your work way back and, and of course i obviously had to make the connection between you as a producer and this poet because in my mind those two things didn't belong together yeah but very just different. That, you know and it was in french i think the text that i got hold of Oh no maybe it wasn't but also there was this relationship to france which was also blew my mind because it connected to me <laughs> i grew up in france so just to say you were able to go there and do that because you had a prior relationship. And and I think just to highlight that the role of dramaturgy and the role of a dramaturge is so much a social practice in relation to how you are in this very subjective sense holding a place with artists that you can come back to mm-hmm. and then you can rewrite. I know we were talking about scripts specifically here, but just to say for the audience who don't know that, yeah, not yeah, everyone yeah. could do that.
0: <laughs> you know? And yeah. do you have to have a relationship with the choreographer or, or collaborator that you're working with given the sense of care and understanding that you're trying to draw out or have you been in a position where you've been pushed together with somebody that you perhaps don't know at all how important is that relationship that you have with the choreographer before you start this work ever maybe you go first
2: Okay. And maybe it's also to be clear, Katika is a producer, uh, you know, in, in, in full right. I, I know that we're focusing on the dramaturgical role, but I think that's why I'm also saying that.
0: I'm, I'm going to come to that a bit later, actually, about what those differences are. But I'm just interested now in that, yeah. in that dramaturgy role. Yeah. Yeah. What relationship do you have to have with that person that you are supporting? Yeah. What prior relationship? And have you been in a position where you've not known that person? very course, well yeah.
2: at all you know let me talk to that a bit yeah i've been approached only once by someone who wanted to work with me as a dramaturg who i hadn't previously had a relationship with and that's been through this moment of covid and uh, where we ended up working mainly online in two different places in the world without having ever met for me that's the exception but for me generally it has been through a relationship and mainly because i think as a programmer as a curator i made it my business to know what a lot of people are doing <laughs> so you enter a lot of conversations and you, you follow a lot of people's work you know even though you might not actually end up programming or having a curatorial relationship with people but at least you are in dialogue you know it's a really privileged position you you know people tell you what they're doing mm. it's incredible but that's a bit different so that's how it comes out for me it's come out of that relationship often people knew me as a curator. And I yeah. value the dialogue I had with them. And now they know that I'm freelance. Yeah, okay. They want to carry on the dialogue in a different way and would like a deeper dialogue with their process and their piece.
0: So when you say dialogue there's a difference between you being aware of an artist perhaps having seen their work either live or on screen but them not really knowing you you not have ever had a conversation or, or met and having an artist that you might be in recent dialogue with you know conversation with and can you walk in cold to a relationship like this a dramaturgical relationship having only known of a person and their work rather than knowing them personally yeah.
2: I guess I could talk to the relationship I've started to develop with a choreographer called Astrid Boons based in The Hague who's a fantastic performer and that's come out of NDT, and who's just an incredible young woman and I was introduced to her by the theatre where she's an associate artist at The Hague the Kooso Theatre. I'd also seen her at Tantite Vupital, actually on stage at Sadler's Wells but I had never seen her own work as a maker and we had never met face to face, I mean intentionally we obviously shared the spaces but didn't know each other so the theatre introduced me and through a process we decided to work together I was supposed to go over <laughs> and then London happened and then her piece was supposed to be live but then you also ended up being live streamed digitally so the process completely changed but what was interesting is yeah we established a relationship through another role which is the role of a coach yeah. okay. and I think that did establish trust yes but very early on when we were talking. She was interested in working with me in both capacities. And that was from a very early first conversation to see how it would gel. And I guess it's difficult to say, how is trust created? It can be created really quickly, even digitally. Mm -hmm. This is what I've learned through the process with Astrid. It's just insane. I really thought it wouldn't happen. But in my practice as a life coach as well, I coach people that I've never met. Yeah. And it's such an incredible alchemy, isn't it? Yeah. You know, what creates a situation where two people can trust each other and go very deep with each other. And with Astrid, it's been a real privilege because, as you say, I, I mainly work with a lot of people that I know. So this was a very different proposal. And somehow I got what she wanted to say artistically very quickly and... Yeah. And, you know, we worked through her standing Vimeo rehearsal things. I I was never in the studio. I I lost a lot of aspects of what I love doing in the studio. I couldn't get to know the performers. I could only just support her because of the digital aspects of it. It's very different to be in the room. So there was lots of things I couldn't do. I couldn't be there on the tech days. The tech days were completely different you know, in terms of the dramaturgy of other aspects of the piece. The meaning arises with the whole sonography tools. We were more trying to work on on another aspect, which was, you know, how is it going to come across now that it's supposed to be filmed? Mm. Do we want it to be a performative work that is filmed? Or do we want it to be a work for camera? Those bigger conversations, which were kind of emergency conversations that Mm. we just had to deal with, like the whole world was dealing with recalibrating. Mm. But Tresk was established. Yeah, this
0: last year has taught us a lot of things about what might be possible in, in, in formats that we never thought it was. And yes, you're right, building trust. I mean, I've been working with someone for the past 12 months that I've only met once and that was about last week. And You can't even imagine that having happened before. Uh, Kartika, I wanted to ask you something specific about contemporary dance because I wondered who needs a dramaturg? Could everybody do with a dramaturg if they indeed had the resource to bring somebody in additionally to the space? Or is it just a work that has a strong narrative? How do you cope or how do you deal with an abstract piece of dance that you might be working on? I wondered if you could talk us through that.
1: Yeah, uh, if I could, before that, comment on what you'd asked earlier and what Eva said. Trust is primordial. And, you know, I'm just thinking of how organic a process it was for Ava to be approached by many people. And I think a lot of it is to do with the way she approaches work. It's just always been such a delight to have her in a rehearsal room or talk to her about a process, even with my other hats on. I mean, I remember when we met and we would meet Pretty much every other month, uh, <laughs> a garden court cafe, if not anywhere else, <laughs> and and she is so attentive to and aware of the various sort of skeins you're holding on to, whether as an auteur, as a maker, or as an enabler, etc. And that's not true for every programmer or every producer. So irrespective of what your formal background or skills in dramaturgy are, that trust is essential, I think. The awareness that someone's speaking with the best interests of the work at heart Mm. and not to project one's own intentions or aspirations Mm. from the work. Mm, thank you, Asika. Really appreciate you saying that. <laughs> no, but it's true, and you know we've known each other since 2010. I think when you programmed the first Alchemy at Tatlang yeah, and, yes. and it's something I've noticed across the years. Yeah, so it seems entirely uh, natural that you should be asked by many choreographers because, as we all know, but we probably don't remember often enough, it's a really frightening process. Even if you've made hundred pieces, and every time mm. you're going into it completely naked and completely anew. Hmm. And it's really important to have someone you can sort of turn to, not as the voice of God, but just as hmm. a, a magic mirror of sorts.
0: A soundboard of some kind. It was why I was asking about how that trust was built and whether you needed anything there in place beforehand, any prior knowledge of that person. Because like you say... There's something about the authority of that voice. You've got to trust that that voice has authority. And by that, I don't mean institutional authority like you would have had at SAD as well or working in opera houses for yourself, Katika. But what I'm talking about is for the artist to know that they value the opinion of that person they're asking the soundboard of. And so I think that idea of trust in that relationship and when an artist opens themselves up to invite that in that's also I would imagine I'm guessing here but quite a raw space and I had an incident recently where I asked if somebody would like me to bring in a dramaturg but the relationship wasn't there already and so in that instance because we didn't have time to build it it wasn't an appropriate moment because that artist felt that they had a job to do they knew what they were doing they were in that space and actually bringing in somebody that they didn't have that trust with they didn't have that relationship would have made that difficult but I guess that's true of any collaborator right anyone that you bring into your space
1: that's true of any collaborator and that's I I know you mean authority in the finest sense Mm. but I'm a little uncomfortable with it I think I'm more comfortable with honesty and I guess self-awareness That those are the two qualities that the choreographer partner would look to rather than, you know, authority, even moral or artistic authority. Yeah. Mm. I'm just really resonating with that. And do we need to know each other in advance? Not necessarily. That said, it's perhaps not incidental or anodyne that every single choreographer or theatre director who's asked me to join them has been very aware of my writing, you know, however much or little they're aware of my work as an enabler. So for instance, someone whom I didn't know at all on a personal level, with whom I have had and am continuing because the work hasn't premiered yet, thanks to COVID, is Carlos Guerra. He invited me to be librettist and dramaturg, so it's one of the few times when I've done both, on his adaptation of Madame Butterfly. And we didn't know each other at all, we'd never met. But I knew his work, and I was very admirative of his lenses on gender, on ethnicity, on belonging, on otherness. I mean, those are really important issues for me. And they're really important. They're sort of at the crux of a lot of his work. And when I heard what he wanted to do, I wanted to be on board immediately. And we actually met just once before diving into the making of the piece, or the remake staging, actually, because he'd already made a sketch a few years ago. But he was very aware of my work as a poet, and he was not afraid of it. Sometimes choreographers are very scared that I'm going to come on board and insist that there should be poetry in the work. And then I know that's probably not going to be a great collaboration.
2: Yeah, I really want to pick up on this, get because I was just like, you know, I could feel my heart beat a bit faster as you said that, because the thing about authority, power and agency is really subtle. And we have to be really careful in all these different roles that we inhabit, that there isn't the abuse of power in a way. And even when I wasn't very powerful roles, for me, what was really important is you want to meet people and support their agency within what they're doing. And if they start looking at you with a sense of you're the authority who's going to help fix things. It's not going to work. I think that's
0: really important to pull out in this. I think ignoring that there is power in place is foolish. I think there's power and weighted power across all of these different roles and how we use it or how we operate within it is important. But what you're just saying there about that role of the dramaturg, I think that's a key piece of this puzzle, isn't it? A key bit of understanding about how that role is there to enable that artist, would you say?
2: Yeah, I would. I think, you know, of course there needs to be a sense that. Someone is competent and brings a set of skills and brings a perspective and brings points of view and themselves as human, having had lots of experience of works for me, of having curated lots of works, of having been in the room with lots of people. So, of course, you have all that knowledge mm. that people also value you bring into the room. And you use that, you know, something I do a lot is refer artists to other pieces when they're in the beginning phases in particular, in relation to how they're positioning their work, what the topic is, mm. how meaning in dance arises with certain topics in different ways. So that that we do talk about, you know, and in terms of form and decisions on all of that earlier on. So in that sense, yes, I have got information that maybe sometimes they don't have. Maybe sometimes they've not been privileged enough to be able to travel the world and see lots of different forms and artists. So that, in that sense, there is that. But it's, it's just the relational bit that I was picking up mm. on. That I think the dramaturgy isn't a fixing person okay. in that way. So I was looking at one of the dramaturges in the UK, who a lot of people work with yourselves too at Greenwich Dance. I was looking at Lou Cope's information around that. Yeah. Because I don't usually look at the definition, I just do things. But this morning I was like, oh, just, I wonder how Lou said. And she talks about the 11th hour dramaturgy or crisis dramaturgy, which is like more. Of uh, coming in to kind of help when something's not working yeah. at some point. So I've never worked in this way. I don't know you, Katika, but in that sense, yes, you fix something and or you don't have a longer relationship, maybe. But apart from those things, which needs to be named, I think we have to be careful. What I find interesting about this whole
0: idea of dramaturgy is it's a little mystical. And working with Lou Cope, and I always find it difficult to talk about people when they're not here. We should have her in the room. She's brilliant. What I think she does is she's applied her dramaturgical methodology to other areas of our business, helping me with my business plan, for instance, facilitating. You know, there's roles of facilitator and everything else in there, but that idea of Getting to the narrative, finding the thread, getting the clarity—those are all things that she's done and helped us do in in other areas. That's why I'm finding this conversation really interesting to just unpick some of those roles and some of those ways that you do your job. So I'm going to move us on a little bit if I can, and just say, given everything that we have been talking about, we've talked about feedback and how you give feedback to people, and again, we've had a really interesting conversation as part of this series about feedback and criticism and reviews and how they can be hard to receive. Or easy to receive but also hard to give and I wondered when you're giving your feedback when you're getting involved in your dramaturgical process with your artist what tools are you engaging to deliver what you have to say Kartika?
1: So it really depends on the capacity in which I'm uh, present you know because to unpick again before going into that specifically, to unpick the role of dramaturg, sometimes the sort of the essence of it, and that also links to your question about does everybody need a dramaturg? And the part where the dramaturg does the research and brings in information from all kinds of horizons is something I think everybody can benefit from. And that is one entire skill set, but it's also an entire layer or channel that you bring into the making process. And that's different isn't it as to when you're sharing that information and how through the process of the making, you're going to be back and forthing with the the information that you're sort of sitting on as a librarian in some ways. And in the constantly dynamic sense, I think of the dramaturg as being somewhat similar to an editor on a film, except that the editor works post-production and the dramaturg's working in real time. Mm. And that's different. And that's really, really delicate as to how and when you give that feedback. My thumb rule is... And it varies from choreographer to choreographer. I don't have it right. You can go terribly wrong. You can go surprisingly right. And it's a combined effort. After many years, my only thumb rule is I work only with people I can disagree with. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know, I mean, and can get very heated. And that can be wonderful as well. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, touch wood, and we've had many, many, arm wrestling matches larby and i but that's not even specific to dramaturgy because i never 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 play dramaturg on his work and and that's the other thumb rule i'm never dramaturg on a piece that i'm producer on or enabler Mm -hmm. on i've been invited to and unfortunately had to say no because at some point in time the commission turned into a co-production with our company and i had to raise funds or something and then i'm very very clear that i will not do that I mean, I'll do the producing, I won't do the dramaturgy because the producing is sort of necessary to bring in the funds and find the venues and make the piece happen. Mm. Someone else can always do the dramaturgy. That doesn't mean the dramaturgy is less important. It's just that in that particular moment in time, there's a choice to be made. And my choice has been to be producer.
0: Is that because of your headspace, because you want to concentrate on one thing? Or you talked about conflict of interest earlier. Describe to me the conflict of interest there.
1: They're very different headspaces, and I do not want my preoccupations, my concerns as a producer to interfere with the dramaturgy. With the work. Yes, with coming into the rehearsal studio. You know, that is not my place then. It really should not. I mean, we're human beings. That blood-brain barrier should not be breached for me. Yeah, I mean, there are people who do it very well, who come in as dramaturgs on pieces that they're producers. It doesn't mean it can't be done. It's mm-hmm. just that I'm not confident or I do not want to take the risk of a conflation of roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the wonderful thing, I think, is that even as producer, we do not stop. And this is very particular to that equation, the one I have with Larbi, which I love. It's my creatively stimulating place even as a writer, so much comes out of what we're doing around his work in the most extraordinary and the unexpected of ways. We do not stop having artistic conversations because I'm enabling, producing walking by his side or the last year and a half. I've been unwell and officially in no capacity with the company. But we do not stop having those conversations from the naming of a piece to what is it that he wants to say. And that's why I said magic mirror rather than sounding bored, because I come in with all my subjectivity and he's aware of that and I'm aware of mm. that. And at the end of the day, that's what makes us function when we function.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's a really interesting definition, actually. And, it, and it's really lovely to be Aware of that. And perhaps I ask it as well, coming from a really new place at Greenwich Dance for me in terms of programming and curating. We don't have a lot of resources. So you do find yourself doing quite a lot of things. I'm interested in understanding this much more because I think it makes the way I support the artists I'm working with better. Because I really like that clarity that you just put on those two roles and how you can just enable and fundraise and fight for the work, but talk to your artists. But over here, you're actually getting into the art itself there is a tendency to blur those boundaries perhaps if we're not conscious of that so thank you for talking about that Emma you wanted to come back to feedback which I'm also fascinated by given our recent conversations oh I'm
2: I'm torn now because I I, I'm just like yeah I know we're going all over aren't we
0: apologies to listeners that are trying to keep up but hey this is what it's about we're weaving a basket at the moment and all our threads will come together
2: maybe I can connect them I guess I guess there's something in what Kafka said. I'm just wondering whether us also having other roles and understanding the different phases of life of a project, of a creation, from initiation all the way to premier touring and more. I'm just wondering whether that also brings a different perspective to how we are as a dramaturge. And speaking for myself, I mean, I totally get that That's, this is why I never enter dramaturgical relationship as a curator. I very rarely have a double hat with people. But actually, even if I was talking just about my husband, my partner uh, with Hitain, who I guess is the first time I worked as a dramaturgy without knowing was with him because he came from the visual arts and asked me to support him making his first performance work. But with him, you know, I was very clear, like I couldn't do all the roles, like, you know, being his partner, the producer, and someone who is also supporting him creatively so I opted to obviously remain the partner <laughs> and occasionally enter dramaturgical roles when he goes into performative modes. And the producer, I very quickly found someone else to do. I could have done it, but I found someone else to do. So, you know, I think those boundaries are really clear in order for a relationship to really thrive. But the bit I wanted to pick up on, I guess, is that in my changing relationship to institutions through my journey... And having chosen to be in this moment outside of institutions, I think I still bring something when I'm a dramaturge or even a coach about understanding the institution demands and the systems and how they work. And not that that would influence how we edit the work or how the meaning arises, but there is another space of holding at times around. I feel sometimes I realize I've been an activist in disguise where I have been alongside the artist, wanting them to really tell their truth. And that at times, the pressures from different places, big commissioners, being mostly in the UK, where the audience and the statistics and the reach is so heavy in comparison to other systems of funding. You know, that can really bamboozle artists who have to tell an entire narrative about what it is they're going to do in order to get the funding before they've even started day one in the studio. So I often feel like I want to push the institution demands away. Even when I was within the institution, I kind of paradoxically was also pushing against it from inside. Wanting to create a space for the artist to first figure out what it is they want to do. And then as a curator, I was also finding a way to make the system rebalance a lot of inequities in order for the work (laughs) to arise. Does that make sense? So as a dramaturg, I think I have that knowledge, even though... I'm still figuring out how that applies yeah
0: I love the idea Ava that you are trying to change the system to give space to the work rather than changing the work to fit the system which is what so many of us do you know as we're navigating the politics the funding the complexities all of that that goes behind how you put a work on stage how you sell it you know all that stuff and I love the fact that you're saying that you're pushing that to one side to let the work have the space to take shape and then you bring that work in I think it's a lovely way of doing it mm.
2: it's not quite too one-sided. It's making the artist aware of it in a different way. Kartika, you've been nodding and looking like you'd like to say something there.
1: Yes, actually, I just suddenly had this moment of illumination. And I wanted to say what I think one of the most interesting things, one of the most precious things, Ava's done, is she sort of brought a dramaturg's glance to curating and I mean that with regard to the institution and not the artist, because I look at Out of Asia too, Ava, and what you did was really a dramaturg's eye on what the past had been and try to redress that in a sense, because Out of Asia 1 for me was, and I've written about this, you know, on Dance Umbrella, so I can talk about it. Out of Asia 1 for me was steeped in exoticism. There were many problems. And what you try to do with Out of Asia 2, together with Alistair and Sadler as well, was look at yourselves critically and try to redress that in the way it was conceptualized and in the way it responded to its own past Mm. and to the larger reality around us.
2: Oh, that's so interesting to hear you say that. Maybe a bit of context for the listeners. So Out of Asia is a season, a framework that Saddle's Wells put on twice. Once before I was there and then a the second time when I was there in order to showcase work coming from Asia in the largest sense. And Katika came as part of the second edition of it when I ended up actually asking an artist to work with me in a curator capacity. So I've asked the artist Chokai Kai-Fai to come and work in that way. And he really inspired me to create a very different frame. But I hadn't thought about it as dramaturgical thinking. And this is where the line between curation and dramaturgy is super interesting, isn't it? But it's true. There was something institutionally that I was trying to change. I wanted to do it with an artist. That was also very important for me that I wasn't also as a white woman myself, curating a season of Asian work that just didn't make any sense for me as much as I have traveled to India and I have done a lot of work myself in terms of my own anti-racism and a lot of that work. But it was really key that I was also with an artist and that he had something to say. And Chokha is fantastic. And he is himself an incredible curator. And he had a very critical view because one of an entire bit of his practice came out as the critique of Saddle's Wells first season out of Asia. And also very forceful critique of Akram Khan's perspective on the Asian body and like, very specific things. And they were quite hard hitting. And I thought, great, let's embrace that. And actually, Alistair was up for me trying to do that, which was also great in terms of the criticality of it. But of course, that's what I was doing. That was Mm -hmm. my role. Anyway, I just pushed that a little bit further because it was a bigger season. There was more we could do. But it was really interesting to hear you bring the dramaturgical frame into that. I hadn't thought about it in that way. It makes sense in terms of the process of the reflection and how that can be applied to institutions. I
0: am conscious that we've been talking for almost an hour, but I still have a couple of questions. One of them is about your boundaries and the support that you're offering in terms of the role in the space, whether that's ring-fenced to the maker in whatever definition they want to give themselves of artistic director or choreographer or whatever that might be? Or do you also work closely with the costume designer, with the set designer, with the lighting designer? And does your advice and feedback and thinking get channeled through the one artist before it hits any of those others? Or would you be in a space and go, do you know what? I think that lighting needs to be softer in that place. I'll go and have a quick look. Would you ever do that? I just wondered, what are those boundaries? And perhaps even, how do you set them? Kartika, how about you?
1: It's bespoke. It varies from production to production, from piece to piece, and from team to team. Okay. You know, It varies mainly from artist to artist, but it's primarily predicated on the requirements of the piece. And that's, again, coming back to what the role is. My first loyalties are to the piece. Of course, that's defined loosely with the maker and often the producer. For instance, with my most recent work with Butterfly Lovers, where Farooq Chaudhry is both producer and director. And we have a vast team spanning Berlin and Beijing and London and Paris, etc., etc. And shut down as we are by covid I have had as many meetings with Tim Yip, who is helming the sets and the costumes, actually more with Tim than with Disha, the choreographer, because we haven't gone into rehearsal studios yet, this being a pandemic year. But we needed the costumes to be scripted, scene by scene. And they're very, very relevant to the story. How they change, what they imply, you know, they define character, but they also define the change in the narrative. So it really depends on the piece, because it depends on how abstract, how narrative-driven the piece is, the requirements of that piece. And it depends on the team. You know, in the same team, there are people who still, and that's natural. Like I said, a writer is seldom there on a dance production. So there are people in the creative team who still don't know that, Well, Farouk would like me to be in on certain aspects, you know, to be that person who says, but this is not appropriate in that point in the narrative. So it, it's all guided by the central person, whoever the choreographer or the director is and how they envision the piece. And if it's an adaptation of a story of mine, then with a book of mine, etc., then I generate the story as well. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there are independent conversations happening and there are collective conversations happening. And I'm very available if the composer says, what do you think is the mood there? Yeah. Or, so it. very, yeah. and again there I can't really answer as a dramaturg because it's really as the story writer that I'm responding but I know that there are dramaturg associates of mine who have worked in similar ways on, on work that they don't necessarily generate where they don't generate the narrative
0: hmm. What would you say to that Eva? Do you have a way that you would set up first day of rehearsals what the expectations of your role might be or is it just natural and
2: organic? With the rest of the team you mean beside the artist? Yeah I think what tends to to happen is I do enter a dialogue with the collaborators, but for me, it's all that has to relate back to the intention of the work. And often the intention of the work starts off with the artist. So I feel like I'm often very close to the artist and I do support conversations with collaborators, actually. Sometimes in a translation kind of way, it also depends hugely how articulate at at different points of the process the artist might be about their work. It depends also if the collaborator is ongoing or if it's a new collaborator. Unfortunately, in some of the impoverished ways that dance work, not everyone has collaborators that they go back to, even when they would like to for different reasons, because a lot of artists would like to commit but have to take Mm -hmm. another gig. And then the timeframes of a lot of production I work with, which are small to mid-scale, mean that they don't happen years in advance in terms of how they operate. So when there is a long-term collaborator they end up getting a real sense of how these artists work. So, you know, they have a very different rapport, I would say, to the intention of the work and the artist. When it's younger artists, and they're also sometimes navigating how to express their vision with their collaborators, I tend to support them a lot more in coming to a form of articulation that works for them. So then they can share it with the rest of their team. Right. Because then that gives them a real sense of being able to establish relationship with everyone. And I don't necessarily then repeat the conversation. I help the artists find yeah. their way to put it in language because I work with a lot of people who don't necessarily, for very clear reasons, prefer to not use words. (laughs) There's a lot of fantastic artists I work with which happen to be very articulate, but there's really both. And at times you, you really have to support the languaging of what the intention is, which I think for everyone can have specific challenges. For sure, this makes me think of something I'd love to share for people who hear this, is that I think for me, when I was thinking about it, I think I support the artist and the work. I think I support the process to a huge degree as well. So in a way, there is another form of support, which is often to do with the methodology of how the artist is going to arrive at communicating with collaborators, then becoming more aware of their own way of making and the way they make decisions. So then to go back to the analogy, is the elephant too big? So they have started to also become confident in their own sense of how they might actually use a principle choreographically or principle for the piece to arrive at a decision making so they can answer that question for themselves. Of course our role is to ask the question but it's interesting that I often feel I'm supporting artists to arrive at the clarity of how their values might apply to a work or what the principles are that they work with so then they can answer the questions that I might throw at them so it's funny isn't it there's like a an awareness rising of people's mm. own methodology and own way of creating which i often get involved with so and in, in that there's also how do you talk to your collaborators
0: yeah can i ask a, i've gone off tangent a little bit here but i love this analogy of the elephant so if you were to say to an artist is the elephant too big and the elephant says uh, the elephant says
1: <laughs> the elephant does talk back sometimes <laughs> it does occasionally if you were to say to the
0: artist Is the elephant too big? And the artist said to you, no, he's perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. And you thought to yourself, I think he's too big. What happens to them?
1: It depends on the artist. Like I said, it's a constantly evolving process for me at least. And one never knows oneself completely. So one never knows someone else completely, right? So you can always misstep, of course. But it's, again, a very delicate thing. Do you tell them what you think? Do you owe them that honesty? Or at that moment in time, is it better for them to go with their conviction? Those are choices that are made in the given moment. Mm. And and it really varies from equation to equation and process to process for me. There are times when I have only gone in for, say, three days on an entire rehearsal period. And these are also related to things like economics, of course. You know, there are processes or productions on which that's all there is as a budget. And maybe the process is also so speedy that you don't necessarily have time for a lot of introspection and a lot of preparation gets done in the beginning and then you have to just trust the process. It varies. Mm. I try to be as honest as I can, but I also know that at the end of the day, the world that you know, I own is that of my books. On a production, even when it's an adaptation of a book of mine, the person who's helming it, and therefore with the good and the bad, in the same terms of praise and censure or criticism, is the person who's helming it there. And I have to trust them with it. And I also have to respect the enormous risks that they are taking.
2: Mm. Yeah, I think maybe it goes back to the whole feedback conversation earlier. But in a sense, I totally agree. It so depends on when in the process you'd say that, you know, you don't say that two days before the premiere. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. You don't say something that is like massively underpins Mm. the whole work. And yeah, it depends hugely Mm. on loads of things. I think also it depends where they are in their making journey, literally in their lives, i.e. how much work they've made before, how much they know, where they are with judging inside in a very intimate, intuitive way that maybe they do want the elephant to be that big and see what it's going to do. And then you do have to really... You know, my point of view was offered, and I often would say, well, if the elephant's going to be that big, that's what it does to the piece, as far as I can see. The impact would be that. I feel it might be read as this. Something else might no longer be in the foreground. Something else becomes in the background. So if your intention was, I don't know, to show the gender of the, or, you know, that there's no gender in this piece and that therefore, so by doing that, something else shifts. And it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but then my conversation would be, that's what's happening by doing that, you know, in terms of me stepping away and looking at it then you have to really give them yes. the space to yeah. think that through and decide because often it's you know the piece you have at the end is not the one you started no, with no, at the no. beginning and they just have to judge whether that's the right size of elephant for them the thing for me that I take I think that I want to share which goes back to feedback is no judgment no blame no criticism that's one of the rules of one of the coach that I have um, myself and I really think that's really key most of all because I work with a lot of people who hold a sense of marginality in their identity whether it's in their gender in the sense of ethnicity or, or social background and so therefore how you validate or invalidate some of their ability to make decisions is really sensitive and I mm. really care about that and I think the language will be very different mm. with different people as well in terms of where they come from I'm realising I'm working more and more in Spanish now, which is really funny. There's something about language that comes into it too. Anyway, that's another tangent, but no judgment, no blame and no criticism. That's one of the truths. And ends. I like the way that you're talking about feeding back how that reads. So you're just interpreting
0: what the size of that elephant feels like to you and how you're reading other bits of the production for the choreographer or maker to then go, okay, that's how they're reading it. And it feeds into another conversation we had in a previous series about trust of the artist that sometimes we don't know exactly where that artist is headed. They do, and you've both talked about their ability or inability to articulate that in words, and sometimes people can and sometimes people can't, and that's part of what you're there to do as well. But actually... By you simply trusting that they know where they're going and you feeding back how you feel it's reading, you're allowing them to carry on with their process unhindered in a way, perhaps. is my interpretation of what you've said. So I'm going to finish on a last question, which is about definition and credit. And I wondered, how do you want your work within a production to be acknowledged as it goes out there in the world? Katka, I think this one might be different for you because of your myriad of roles sometimes you're the owner of the story too you're the storyteller and the author and so it it might be complex
1: I think what helps is the fact that I was an enabler for a long time before I came onto the creative credits so these are battles I've fought on behalf of artists for a long time that I'm Hmm. very sensitive to and they're also culture specific I'm very fortunate in that Larbi has always been a huge defender of people getting their due credit their due acknowledgement irrespective of how far along on the celebrity hood ladder they are or not because that's also something I realized from the time I started enabling beside an artist as opposed to being in an institution because I spent the first quarter of my adult life or even the first third working in state theaters etc so where you're not necessarily privy to the creative process and obviously you're concerned with other things like box office and so on and so forth so I do get the fact instead of Objective terms that theatres can be very obsessed with a certain degree of celebrityhood in order to make it big, sell tickets, get press attention, etc. But it's a really horribly grey area because not to do justice to the process of the making is the worst you can do to somebody. You can set back someone by years and years in their trajectory. And that's something he's been very sensitive to. And I have been very proud in being the general of that battle, for instance, vis-a-vis theatres, all through our collaboration. And, and, you know, I could say this because it's happened so many times. In the beginnings of their career, Larbi and Damia have made work together. Very often, we would not find Damia on the poster or on the primary credits. And Larby has been the first to go out there and fight for that. And I have been the person doing it for him. And it's been an honor because that's something we both believe in. So the right credits are terribly important to me. And oddly enough, he's the person who... Kind of very accidentally told me to fight for that for myself as well because it's very difficult to fight for yourself. I realized that at the time I switched hats and was getting credited as writer, etc. So many theatres would forget. Um the primary producers of Until the Lions forgot to mention it's an adaptation of my book during the first season. It was terrible. Oh, gosh. Especially when the publishers came to see the rehearsals and they got the season's brochure and nowhere was it mentioned and This is not just unfair, it's a breach of trust to the publishers who've given the rights. And Larby told me, you know, if it were for somebody else, you would be out there fighting. So why double standards when it's yourself? You need to go and no one else is going to do it. And that was probably the best mm. advice I've got in the crediting thing. So I am ruthless about going after, whether it's a theater, whether it's a company. Sometimes it's just forgetfulness. Sometimes it's a proofing mistake. But sometimes it's just the fact that it doesn't matter. It is about who's important. And there is, as Ava and I were discussing the other day, the primacy of the single narrative. You know, There was an American writer who wrote brilliant piece about it where she called it the Misty copeland effect where only one marginalized artist should make it to the marquee you don't have space for others (laughs) whatever kind of marginalization it is and you see that also in the way it's covered most of the press talks about until the lions as being akram's adaptation of the mahabharata and inspired by my book inspired it is (laughs) your book I mean, the title, the conceit, and the central narrative, which is rewritten from a feminist perspective, is mine. So, you know, I'm not asking to be up there on a poster, but I'm asking for the credits to be right. Mm. And I think I'm fairly clear that I don't want to be out there. If I've done three days of dramaturgy on an entire process, I only ask for a consultant or something because, and it's not just mm. only, it's what's commensurate, it's what's right. But if you're going to forget me, and it's funny because we're going to give a link to the Numeri Dance website, until last year when Celine from AKC went back and told them that their credit's wrong, they didn't mention the Honey Hunter. They didn't mention the fact that it's accepted from my book. And this is one of the largest dance platforms in the world. Yeah. Oh my God, we've touched on something really big with that question, Melanie. (laughs) I know, it's
0: massive, isn't it? But it, it comes up, as you won't be surprised to hear, in many of our conversations, because credit can so easily just be forgotten. But as you say... Why easily? Why easily? Ever have you come up against that? And how do you make sure that you're credited? I
2: mean, I resonate with so much of what you say, Katika. I have fought so hard as well to break some of that single narrative in other ways where, you know, the, the kind of mythical one-author patriarchal stuff. And, and even artists want to break that. And yet venues and, you know, occasionally marketing people somehow shorten the very beautiful list of credits. Yeah. So I totally know that. Because of that, me too. I do feel like I'm very cautious with that. More and more, I do think about the amount of time. If I'm not that involved, I would say dramaturgical support. Um, because exactly as Katsuka said, I, I don't feel like I'm a full collaborator. And the word dramaturg is more and more in the lingua now. So I feel like mm. that can go mm. there often. So I'm comfortable with that, for sure. Sometimes we add other things when I help in other ways. I just have this proverb, the tip of the lines, Could you say the full line, Katika, of it? Because it just feels so relevant in a way. You know, a lot of our work is about the giving of voices in their plurality and in their truth, as opposed to this single narrative. And as dramaturg, we really enable that and holds the flame. You know, I really feel that. But what's the full line of the proverb, Katika?
1: So there are variations to it, but it's an Igbo proverb which says, until the lions have their own historians, the history of the hunt will always be written by the hunters. That's true. One of the ironies, you know, among the many was, for instance, an Observer article which went into the making of the piece and spoke about patriarchy and feminism without anywhere mentioning the fact that it's an adaptation of this particular book. And yeah, on a good day, I can really laugh about it. On a bad day, it sucks.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and I would say, you know, it is very gendered as well for me, this how we take space and there's other layers to intersectionally. That come into it even more, so absolutely this is a big question i'm so glad you said the full proverb I love it it's beautiful. And a very, very good place to stop. Although,
0: as ever, it feels like if we could make ourselves a coffee and come back, I think we've got another hour at least. But I want to thank you for your generosity of the time that you've given us today. And if you would like to hear more episodes about subjects moving artists of today, search for Talking Moves wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. And for more information about Katika and Eva, head on over to GreenwichDance.org.uk. and do remember, if you know someone you think we should talk to or have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please tweet us at Greenwich Dance and do join us next time for more Talking Moves.